Hello. I'm Steph. I'm interrupting the beautiful like serenity in the room right now after hearing um, gorgeous music. Thank you so much to you both. Um, just to let you know, my pronouns are they, them and theirs. Uh, and I'm going to be facilitating the week two of our re-raveled yarns series, which I'm really excited about. Um, last Sunday, uh, Peter, Jess and Raven were up here in the hot seats, um, gifting us with some really beautiful vulnerability about why they deconstructed or reconstructed their faith and kind of walked through some of the challenges of that, uh, some of the joys of that. Um, and then at the end, we landed in this beautiful space of like, even in the unknowns, um, you know, we're all just sticking around because we still believe that there's something or someone worth being here for. Um, and you can catch up on that if you want to on the New City Church podcast, New City Church Sydney, anywhere that you find podcasts. Um, this week, we're going to get into uh, the topic disembodied faith, uh, connecting with ourselves again. And I just want to give you another little reminder as we talk about this, um, you know, embodiment, disembodiment, um, there might be some hard things that come up. So just want to remind you, move around as you need to. Yeah, as Joel said, leave and don't come back if you need to. Um, you know, get a tea, do some stretches. Like, yeah, don't feel uncomfortable in the space. Like kind of, yeah, listen to your body as we go. Um, the reason that I, I uh, chose this topic is because in the stories of people who have left their churches, I commonly hear this phrase, uh, I just, I got to this point where I realised how disconnected from my body I was, or I'm learning to trust myself again. Um, and this disembodied version of Christianity often comes in the form of maybe a heady or an intellectual faith. Uh, where there's an emphasis on maybe words or thoughts or ideas rather than sort of on the being or the doing of faith. Um, or where maybe those ideas or those doctrines uh, trump people's lived experiences. So I don't know how many people can resonate with the experience of being told, actually, this is me loving you, um, when actually it didn't feel like love, like it's that idea over the feeling but you know something's off but you're being told something else um, and I think for many of us we've been taught kind of to distrust our brains and our bodies a little bit and put our faith in the church or the church's construction of what it means to know God so big topic today we're going to unravel and hopefully re-ravel a disembodied faith and explore what it means to connect with ourselves again. And so I'm delighted to have a couple of people who have been up the front just before me. Um, Sarah, welcome to the stage. Please welcome Sarah. Please welcome Sarah to one of the chairs that I found on the side of the road on my way coming here. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Great modelling. Uh, please welcome our second panellist for this evening, Thomas. Uh, and our third wonderful panellist, Beck. You. <laughs> and I guess I'll just sit on this old stool that we know. That's familiar to us all. 
<laughs> but I like this because generally, like, as the facilitator, I felt higher and that felt like a weird hierarchy power thing and, like, they were down on a couch. But now, actually, you're kind of higher than me and that feels good. Like, let's subvert power in hierarchy. Am I right? Um, okay. Uh, a little bit of a get-to-know-you question. Beck. I didn't give you the heads up on this, um, but hopefully by the time we get there, you'll be okay with it. Um, I just wanted to find out, what is one thing that brings you joy? Mine's, mine's really shallow. You gave, me, Love it. you gave me a bit of notice and I don't like these sorts of things, so then I was like, I don't know, I'll come up with something really shallow. Shopping brings me joy. <laughs> Specifically, like, shoe shopping. Um... Is that okay? It's, it's, it's not meaningful at all. Great. This is not, I hope you know, this is not a right or wrong okay. panel. So, like, great. <laughs> Sarah, something that brings you joy? Yeah. Mine's not necessarily deep either. We talked about this. I really like this podcast called Dungeons and Daddies. Um, oh. It's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast for all of you, so get your head out of the gutter. Um, it is not BDSM podcast, um, although they sometimes say this is not not one because you know sometimes the campaigns. But it's a group of playwrights and um, voice actors who get together um, for this quest on a podcast, and they're trying to get their um, kids from the Forgotten Realms back into like the real world, and so. It's just like a football dad and like a hippie druid kind of character and uh, like a bard who's like a rocker dad who's, you know, got a garage band and everything like that. Just going at it against like dragons and dwarves and it brings me so much joy. I listen to it on my um, like transit into work um, and I just like make the goofiest smiles and I, I know people are looking at me on the train like, like what the heck? Like what are they laughing at? And I'm like, You'll never know. Or they're thinking, I want that joy. <laughs> love that. Little insights into your personalities. I love this. Beck, something that brings you joy? Yeah, I was going to I well, my gut instinct was like nature and leaves, but then you guys are like, oh, we don't have like oh, meaningful so things. I was like, I shouldn't go into a meaningful thing. Um, but I do love like the bush and nature and leaves. Um, and I, I do really love pigs also, actually. That's like... My number one joy, pigs. Yeah, like the, like the animal. Um, I don't know what else that would mean. But, um, yeah, I do love any little, like, pig figurine. I bought one yesterday and I'm still riding that joy wave. So, yeah. That's amazing. Um, I'm just going to join in on the conversation and go for, like, two parts of that convo. Something that I love is catching waves in the ocean. That brings me joy. And also the Netflix show, The, Mo the Mole. And any form, like most forms of reality TV where I don't have to think. Anyway, so yeah, I'm there with like a nice meaningful thing and also just, you know, something quite shallow. Um, okay, now we know a little bit about you. Some, the one little fun fact. Um, we're gonna like just get straight into it now. 
Yeah, so we're obviously exploring this whole topic of deconstructing, reconstructing. Uh, and so I just wanted to ask you just a little quickly so we know some of your journey in deconstructing or reconstructing. You know, what uh, maybe, um, what in a nutshell, or a few key experiences of what your experience was like in deconstructing, reconstructing. Um, in a little nutshell, uh, there are a couple of moments that you'd like to share. I can start. I didn't know if I was going to turn the microphone back. Um, yes, I think I probably have a very similar story to um, a lot of people who have deconstructed. I grew up in evangelical Protestant church my whole life. Um, I live on the Central Coast, have lived there my whole life, went to the same church um, from birth. Um, very conservative uh, evangelical church. And when I was around 14... I kind of lost interest in it but still went because I was very obsessed with uh, people-pleasing and being quite a perfectionist person. Um, but I started deconstructing properly, I would say, in my first year out of high school. I did a um, like a Bible gap year program um, because I didn't know what I wanted to do after school and the teachers who led it um, ended up being uh, really, really formative teachers in my life, but um, they were very, I guess you would say progressive in a lot of their teaching. They wanted us to be exposed to as many different kind of interpretations and ideas and learn to think for ourselves. Um, that program has since been cancelled because uh, the college found out that they were, like, encouraging us to think into our beliefs and they kind of, yeah, they didn't really like that, I guess. But um, that was my, like, the main kind of time that I started deconstructing. I was probably, I was 18. Um, and it was hard. It still is hard. My whole family still attends um, the church I grew up in. Um, and there was a time that I was attending uh, after I kind of started deconstructing and I had a lot of difficult emotions around attending but I still went because I was very scared of leaving and I'm sure a lot of people relate to that too. Um, but, yeah, that's now since the past few years. Um, that's kind of, yeah, where I've been at. Hmm. Thanks for sharing. Um. In, it's only in like the last few months that I would really call my experience deconstructing. I'm still a bit iffy about the term. Um, and I think mine's quite different. I think that's part of the reason why I don't feel as comfortable saying it, um, especially from like the guys that were speaking last week. It was, you know, a bit of a longer journey, something that they really thought and processed through. And, um, and my deconstruction, I feel like it was almost inadvertently forced on me um, very quickly. Um, and was that by us? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Steph. You specifically. Um, no. No, not at all. No. Um, it, it happened when I came out, to be honest. Um, and the reason that I wanted the, or the, this disembodied faith kind of conversation really resonated with me is because I think it goes part in parcel. Um, for me, when I came out... Uh, I lost my church and I lost my family quite quite severely to quite a severe extent, kind of kicked out and doors shut kind of a thing. And, um, and it was at that point that I realized that my faith was somewhat not my own. 
And the the way that I built faith, I guess, um, I'm thinking like the Pentecostal, like you fill your cup up. The way that I filled my cup up was um, was through like through attending church, through what my parents and family told me, through what my church told me to believe. And so when I lost that, I then lost my faith um, because I didn't have this personal experience that held me to my faith. Um, and so like the deconstruction part, it really just like happened. Um, and and obviously for a number of reasons, that was just a really bad time for me. Um, I thought I would put it back together myself at that their point in time, and I started reading the Bible from the scratch because I didn't have a church to rely upon and I didn't have my family to rely upon, so I was like, I'm going to do this myself. I got to Genesis 1, <laughs> and there is something about a firmament there, and then I looked up what a firmament, a firmament was, and I went, well, that's not right. So I actually hit pause at that point. I said, I don't think I'm in a headspace or a capacity to reconstruct. Um, again, I wouldn't have used reconstruct words. For me, it really was, well, it really makes sense because it was literally putting my faith back together for me. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I just put, hit pause. Um, and to be honest, it's only been in the last months that I have cautiously, tentatively been thinking about pressing play again. Thanks for sharing, Thomas. I feel like everyone hates deconstruction. I'm such an advocate for it. Um, but because my experience of deconstruction has brought me so much like hope from a place where I was in um, just sort of a, a very problematic mindset, I guess, um, and so the deconstruction has, has been so helpful and like life saving that I look at it and think this was the, this is the best thing that has ever happened to me. And if, if anyone is in a particular, like a similar space, then I would say that like do it with support, do it in community. Um, and I guess this is more of a like caveat before saying my own experience, but don't st like stay stuck in it, oscillate through cycles of deconstruction. Don't be like, I have to figure out everything about my life all at once. But if there's a particular thing that's driving you to deconstruct, then maybe that's your thing. Um, for me, my deconstruction, my initial deconstruction was very entangled with an eating disorder that I had when I was in my teens. And so that um, developed before I came to Australia even and was still very like, ongoing while I was studying at a Bible college here in Sydney. Um, so it was a few years into that that I was like, you know what, this is really not working. I'm at a very rock bottom, but I don't know why, because I love God. And I really feel like all of this is, is right um, for whatever reason. You know, like when you have a certain way of looking at the world, um, shout out to religious abuse and religious trauma, like you're, you're going to continue to see the way the world that way um, until you kind of just hit a place where you're like, you know what, something has to shift. And for me, it was starting to, one, listen to Rob Bell podcasts. That was a really good one for me. He had a, a episode with Pete Rollins and he came on and Pete said, you know, if you can put God in a box, then it's not God because then we're thinking, like, if you can wrap your whole mind around this, 
then it's it's not a divine deity who has made galaxies and universes. Um, we can't do that. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, if I've if I've put God in a box, thinking this is the way that um, I view me, and I view me in relation to the world around me, um, then I should start to deconstruct that. So that was the initial parts of it. Um, I think I was just so um, in love with the control and the security that I had in that mindset. And that goes in, into the faith, and the, the ED is just like, you know, part of that. But the whole mindset that you have from the black and white answers that you can get in, uh, for me, in an evangelical space um, was just so, like, soothing until it hit walls where you're like, this is not helping. And instead of feeling good about this black and white answer, I feel a lot of shame that I don't fit the black and white answers that I'm getting. And so pushing yourself to really fit into those black and white answers until you think, maybe I should just make room in the box and make room for the gray. And so I think deconstruction for me has looked like a lot of allowing there to be to be gray and to be wide open spaces. And it's been really freeing in that way. And I know that it can seem quite scary to have freedom when you've been so um, hooked on control in that way. Um, and so, but that's my, that was my experience with my eating disorder as well as with my deconstruction. So that's why they're so entangled for me is there was so much about introducing healthy eating back into my life and healthy living that I was terrified to do because I had created such a uh, like black and white way of living. Like I knew how many calories were in an apple. And if I had too many, then I was like, this is, I, I'm ashamed of myself, you know? So to have that, but to think about if I don't pray at a specific time of today, or um, if I go out with my friends this weekend, like I'm, you know, a sinner who needs forgiveness and I can only get that in these specific ways like when you live like that you're just living so in the opposite of what the gospels tell us of of freedom um it's the idea that you should be able to express yourself in all of those ways so that that was it for me in a nutshell <laughs> mm, yeah gosh Thank you so much to all three of you for sharing so vulnerably. Um, I just wanted to sideline and say in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking a little bit about those, you know, going from something black and white to then something that feels very uncertain and how destabilizing that can be. So next week, we're going to be talking about navigating that uncertainty. How do we do that? Um, and then in week four, like reconstructing, putting it back together. How do we do that? What does it feel like? Um, yeah, I want to move to this idea of disembodiment and embodiment, disembodiment, uh, and ask you about your experience of um, feeling disembodied and specifically how were you taught to disconnect from your body uh, in church? There's kind of two things that come to mind for me. I think the first one and it's, it's probably fairly relatable, is that that verse that I don't know where it is. I was going to look it up before we came, but anyway. Um, the heart is deceitful above all things. And it's this very, like, you can't trust your feelings, you can't rely on your feelings because it's deceitful. Um, your heart is, is deceitful above all things. 
And that, for me, led very much to a black and white faith, a listening to, if I'm not trustworthy, then listening to the people at the front, listening to my pastors, my parents, um, and taking whatever they say as the truth because how am I to know what the truth is? How am I to interpret the Bible? How am I to understand those things because I am deceitful? Um, and so I think that was the the primary kind of disembodiment of faith for me. I think faith uh, at that point becomes very heady, very, <clears throat> very like um, kind of like step-oriented or something, action-oriented, where it's like you read the Bible, you pray, you do your quiet time, you do these things, and when you tick them off the list, that's you and having faith. Um, and so I think that, for me, was what was very, very disconnected. Um, yeah, it's such a huge area I feel like there's so many different, in each of us, we all have so many different um, identities and experiences that can be part of the overall experience of disembodiment. It's hard to kind of pick out key um, experiences. Um, But I know for me, one of the kind of central aspects that I can see in retrospect was surrounding gender and I'm a cisgender woman and so I know that in many ways I've had a pretty good experience of gender throughout my life Um, but I was at a church that was very conservative in the way it um, treated women and um, so women weren't allowed to speak up the front and and preach and teach. Um, We could only in groups with other women and there was a real hierarchy regarding um, like men's roles in the church versus women's roles in the church and so I really grew up with this hatred of the fact that I was a girl and then a young woman I really hated it because it it felt like all of these things that I was drawn to um, I was being told like you're not allowed to do that or that's not right um, for no reason other than my body and the way I identified with my body. And so I really struggled with that for a long time but I, I thought it was my problem similar to what Tom was saying. Like I was like, well, I'm deceitful and I'm sinful and so I'm probably interpreting things wrong and all of those kinds of ideas. Um, but then I was told I heard... Uh, from the first ever female minister that I had met um, and this was when I was 18 and we were having a conversation and she said to me, um, oh, well, what have you heard about, like, what happened to Jesus when he died on the cross and what did his disciples do? And it was the classic, like, oh, well, his disciples abandoned him kind of thing. Like, that's what I was taught. And she said to me, they didn't. All of the women stayed and they stayed for the three days and something in that like broke me open at the time and I really, um, I my heart was so crushed for not just women but for every person who either 
has belonged to a faith group who has followed a religion, has a spiritual practice and has been completely forgotten or told like it's not real. Your faith isn't real because of who you are and the way that you live. And so when she told that to me, it it really like, yeah, it was like my whole world fell apart. I was like, I've never thought about that. I've never considered that. And I still for a long time and I still now do struggle with understanding uh, gender and how I approach um, faith and spirituality when I know that because of my gender other people will have certain ideas about the way I should be living and that ties into um, things like queerness as well and I was always made to feel like because of your body and your identity you need to marry this person and do these things and don't do these things and it felt like I am meant to do all of like I feel called to the opposite of absolutely everything you've told me and that was so awful like (laughs) yeah I know a lot of you relate but um yeah it was for me it was like I had this quiet sense of like I feel like this is meant to be a beautiful part of my life but you're telling me that it's awful and it's wrong and it's the opposite of how things should be um and similar to what Sarah was saying too like mental health comes into those experiences and um I really ended up in this headspace of I cannot trust myself um I don't know anything and I guess similar to what Joel was saying too at the very start like um I completely had disconnected from my my body because I'm I am a very anxious person and my experience of anxiety is very physical. I get a lot of like really fun like vomiting and fainting and those things. And the way you cope with those things is just going I'm just going to completely ignore everything that's happening. And so between my gender and between mental health, I was just like oh, like, get me out of my body. It's not what God wants for me. Why would God even put me in the world like this? Like, just, you know, pluck me out and send me to heaven kind of thing. Um, Yeah, that's as condensed as I can (laughs) make that. But Mm, Thank you for sharing, Beck. Yeah, thank you. I feel like there's just so many things about this conversation that you can go any direction. But I'm, and so I'm just sitting here being like, where, where is this going now? rather than notes, um, because so much of what you're sharing about that, that not being able to be in your body, I think is so promoted in the way that we do um, like spirituality, or at least Western spirituality, which really bothers me because I think the church, when, when you phrased it as like, what parts of like being in church have kind of helped? gotten you out of your body or in that sort of way I was like oh there's so many but it makes me so sad because I think that the church should be the place and I know from like studies and and doing theology that it is like historically like there's a real richness to Christianity and embodiment um but we've gotten such a raw end of the deal where like I was sitting one day um reading doing devotionals when I was probably like 16, 17, and I've read in Corinthians where it's talking about um, the tent, like the spiritual tent of your body, and I was like, I started to cry. I was like, oh, thank God that, like, it doesn't matter. Like, my body doesn't matter, and one day I'm just going to, like, 
be up in heaven. I'm not going to have to think about like the size of my jeans and it's going to be amazing. Um, and then so much like what you're sharing about um, the teacher who shared with you. Oh, that's going to go down. Um, so much of what you were sharing, I was like, it's the richness of, of people coming in and telling you what Christianity really is and like being truth tellers to the richness of its story that that changes everything. That's why I'm such, like, I love deconstruction. I think it's just really truth-telling about the text. And so hearing so much about um, a Christianity that is concerned about the earth, is concerned about the peoples of the world who are caring for it, um, reading Genesis as something to steward rather than as um, us having dominion over it. Those were all really rich texts for me to be like, I actually need to be here. I, if I am staying true to this God who I know loves me in my body, um, whether or not I feel like I am at home in my body, I know that I am loved in my body, um, then I have to get used to cherishing that and so that was a turning point for me in that um but i i do think in the opposite of what um that teacher did discipleship can be a place in the church that can go really like really poorly i think that's what i put down as like where um disembodiment can thrive because i think it's not necessarily what they're teaching but the idea that um a lot of the places that i've been a disciple of other people it's been that sort of hierarchy of we're leading this discipleship group and so we know more than you do and so if you have questions then um, if you don't like our answers it's probably because you don't have enough faith and some sort of gaslighting like that um, which really makes you just want to either not have answers or really agree with what's happening around you even if in your body you're like I, I don't yeah, thank you all for sharing. Um, I I think I've heard this in like a really stark split between the physical and the spiritual um, and these kind of like ancient Gnostic ideas that they're separate and the spiritual is above and it's good and the physical is the flesh and it's bad and that was kind of just doubled down on a little bit. Um, and again, it was particularly in... Uh, I realized that I was being told to distrust myself for certain parts of what my body was, but then I realized, well, hey, you're like those sorts of bodies are do like you're all good. Like certain kinds of bodies were able to read the scriptures and interpret them, but my kind of body isn't. So when when my body does it, it's bad. When your body does it, it's good. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, like things started unraveling a little bit there where, um, you know, it was like you need to distrust yourself because you have this kind of body, you have a queer body um, that, you know, we don't trust people like you to do that or to lead or to do certain things. But, um, yeah, I just realised there was a cookie cutter model um, and I was trying to force my body into a cookie cutter. Um, so that was how it was for me. Um, I wanted to ask, like, why – we kind of touched on this, but if there's more you want to expand on, like, 
Why do you think a disembodied faith is so harmful? What elements of it do you think are harmful? And you can kind of talk about your own experiences or just generally. Um, but why do you think disembodied faith is so harmful? I think um, to carry on with the idea of power dynamics there, um, that it makes us really vulnerable if we're not in ourselves and um, able to put those boundaries in of this is my own thought, this is my own like critical evaluation of this thing. It makes us as congregants quite susceptible to narcissistic and predatory behavior as well as um, just someone else's way of doing things. Like it doesn't even have to go to that level of like you're now, you know, a sheep a sheep and a sheep in wolf's clothing is able to, you know, come into the ranks and tell you, no, no, you should be able to do things this way. And I've just seen from personal experience quite a lot of people harmed that way by thinking that some particular people who um, in my like Penty background are given authority because of their charisma rather than their like level of qualifications are able to really come in and um, persuade people to live a certain way that often just makes the person who has the most power the most popular and the most um, powerful again, just like in profits, um, in social status, and all of the accolades. And so it's because of the people around them who aren't thinking for themselves that they're able to rise to that sort of level, which, um, yeah, it's just tricky. I also think that it is harmful just because it leaves us out of our bodies and it, similar to what maybe I said in the last round, leaves us unable to really consider where we stand around other people in our community or, or even around the ecosystem that we belong to in the world around us. Because if you're not centered in yourself, then you're not really going to care about what's happening with climate change either because it's not going to be this in bodied experience um, like you'll see it on the news and things I'm not there's a there's a cognitive understanding to a lot of things but I think if you're missing the um, embodiment of it that it kind of limits how much you're able to action something um, or action empathy or connect with people in your world um, yeah I think I kind of took it to a bit of an extreme in that for me especially it um like I was saying before it, it leads to box ticking like when it when it's it's not yours when you're told to listen respect and trust uh without questioning and uh going any deeper it, it ends up just a box ticking exercise that your faith becomes which is obviously just really unhelpful um I also think it leads to just uh, a stifling of your own wisdom and discernment, um, making really bad, like making just really dumb, like faith conclusions. Um, the the main one for me, which was really um, encouraging, but it's not going to sound it's not going to sound encouraging to anyone else, um, was as I was trying to like reconcile my queerness with my faith, um, it obviously didn't work, and so. I, at the time, was listening to a sermon series on Calvinism, 
um, which I don't strongly advocate for, and I don't really know it. But um, there's the there's the P part of Calvinism or Tulip is the is the acronym, and the P part is like what is getting it? a few Tulip head something about around like the room. Uh, which is the one? Oh, maybe it's not that one. Then it's the one where basically it's like some people are chosen and some people are not. Predestination. Predestination. Thank you very much. Um, and that, like, something just, like, worked for me because I was like, oh, my gosh, this makes so much sense. I'm just not chosen. I was like, this is great. I Because I love the church and I love serving in the church and I love the joy that the church brings and the hope that the church brings. But I was like, but it doesn't work for me because I'm queer. And so, like oh my gosh, I'm just not chosen. I can still serve here and I can still bring people. Maybe that's all I'm supposed to do is like be welcoming and warm to people coming to church. And it's just not for me. And that like actually helped me. It was a conclusion that I drew that was clearly incorrect, but it actually gave me this comfort, which is terribly dumb. But because I'd so like compartmentalized my queerness and my faith and they were so two separate things that was the logical conclusion I drew and I guess it's kind of what Sarah was saying at the very beginning when you've got something black and white and you're trying to fit it into what you know you either ask really smart questions like Sarah did or you come to really dumb conclusions like I did (laughs) sorry I don't know if that's helpful (laughs) I I do relate to that like finding comfort in the most absurd ideas. I definitely had that with, like, I was so like, oh, everything is awful, like, the world is falling apart and my life is falling apart, but, like, it's okay because it's all going to be destroyed when, like, the final days occur. Like, I had that comfort and now I'm like, girly, (laughs) no. (laughs) But, yeah, I relate to that. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, when I think about the harm of disembodiment, I do, I kind of think about two different um experiences of harm and one is like very relational and then one is also just like and these things are connected but um one is also just in terms of your physical health so in my experience um I had spent my entire life so I was like five when I uh oh I don't know how you'd phrase it but like entered the mental health service world like that you know, place. And um, so my whole life had been like trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Like, why am I, why do I get stressed or why do I like, what about me is just like inherently broken. And those experiences combined with other um, traumatic relationships in my life led me to a point where I completely had no sense of uh, my body and my feelings. Um, it was only last year when I, um, did like a very short mentoring kind of experience and my mentor was like, oh, you're saying you're scared. And I had never in my life used the word scared before. And I was like, I am scared. And it was so bizarre because it was like, I've felt that for, I'm 22, so I've felt that for 22 years and I have never been able to recognize that that was what I was feeling. And I've ended up um, I've in – this sounds very dramatic, but um, it didn't feel dramatic at the time – but I've ended up 
having to go to hospital three times now because my entire nervous system will just collapse because I don't acknowledge it. I don't respond to it when it's, you know, it perceives a threat, whether it's a general, you know, an actual threat or not. And I get flooded with adrenaline and I would just ignore it. And you do that for too long. It it has a, a physiological impact on your body. And I feel like that's really important to recognise because, um, at least for me, I'm someone who always goes into like the theoretical kind of like out there discussions, but it's like there are concrete also, not that those things aren't important, but in a very basic way, there are concrete health impacts on your physical health for being disconnected from your body um, and I learned that the hard way and I am still learning that the hard way um, and it's why if you're really stressed with work you might get a cold your your body physically gets run down because you're just trying to push through so you just stop trying to like focus on what you're feeling and so when I had a faith that was telling me like you know all of the things you're doing as like a mental illness response or response to your mental illness is actually really good and God wants you to keep doing that like that really those two things became very entangled and I uh, really struggled to figure out how to separate them um, but aside from just the physical level there's also on a relational level um, one of my like favorite verses no matter where I've been at in my kind of deconstruction reconstruction journey has always been this verse in it's either one Corinthians or two Corinthians um but Jesus is talking about people who are you know following me or who are um I guess followers of Christ in however they might phrase that um he refers to them as agents of reconciliation or ministers of reconciliation and I had this moment where I was like what am I actually reconciling with my faith and I realized it was like I'm reconciling my logical ideas with the right theology and then that was it because every embodied aspect of my life uh the world around me my body, my even my relationships with other people and my relationship with myself, those things I just had this idea of like one day everything's going to end and there'll be some click of the fingers and it's all going to be fixed and perfect. And so I realised like, oh, if I'm meant to be an agent of reconciliation, what am I reconciling? Um, and it was really nothing. And that was a very scary thing for me to recognize um because I was like what have I been doing with my life for so long um if even the most basic aspects of how I think things work um are falling apart and it impacted all my relationships it impacted my relationship with myself and with like Sarah was saying that like climate environment I always cared about the environment, but I thought that that was something separate to my faith, like it wasn't super relevant to my faith. Um, and yeah, a lot of relationships in my life ended up really damaged because they just became transactional because I was like, well, you know, I'm told to be loving and kind and blah, 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 blah. And I'm objectively doing those things. I didn't think about how does this relationship feel 
or what is the other person's experience of this relationship? And I had like, I don't know if maybe some of you have had this experience, but I was in a church that was like, we really value community, but they valued the idea of community more than the people who were in front of them. And I was doing that in all of my relationships. I was like, I really value friendship, but then it didn't really matter who the individual person was. It was just like, oh, yeah, I value friendship, and so I guess that now includes you. I wasn't looking at them as an individual. Um, that's kind of a tangent, but, yeah, that's one of the consequences. Yeah, like kind of ethereal concepts of what relationships and community and friendships are meant to look like and like, oh, I guess this is it, you know, rather than like genuine connection and really being known and seen and loved and reconciled, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that uh, disembodied faith is harmful because we have so much wisdom in our bodies which is inherently spiritual. So this like created design, this very thoughtful, intricate body that I have which is communicating with me like 24-7 and like just the things that are happening that, you know, right now I'm not doing anything and my body is breathing. Like what a miracle like I haven't thought for one second like Steph breathe now um like what a gift and what a creative design of what my body does and then like being in a space and realizing like uh you know walking home at night and it's dark and I feel uncomfortable my body is communicating to me I need to be wary because I might be unsafe and so like but if I just disconnect from that and then walk into a space where my body is being like red alert, red alert, red alert and I've disconnected from it for so long that I am continually putting myself in unsafe spaces, you know, like so I just think like that's a gift that we're given um, and this like concept of like hurt people, hurt people, like when you don't realise the automatic ways that you are doing life, um, you don't realise like I might be hurting other people or like the ways that I haven't thought about uh, being reflective or actually like thinking about how do I relate to other people like what are you know what have I inherited from my upbringing or my community that then I just go and do that that uh, I'm not thinking critically or operating from a space where um, like you know I'm just not connected to that part of myself so um, you know those are a couple of things that come to mind for me um, I kind of want to move to uh, like reconnecting and finding an embodied faith and like what have been the important things for kind of discovering that for yourself um before that is there anything more that you wanted to pick up on about like how now this impacts you about being disembodied uh and like kind of some of like how it sits with you now uh have you kind of talked through a lot of that I just wanted to give you the chance in case there's anything else that you want to say about how it kind of sits with you and impacts you um in this now maybe just one more thing yeah um i think for me something i had to recognize is what are situations environment practices that i have historically been really disembodied in um and so for me uh my own quiet time um i like i used to do that as a practice that was literally just like it was pulling teeth like it was really painful but I had to do it because it was the thing to do and so giving myself the space to not do that um the same thing with prayer prayer for me became this really uh just kind of saying it for no real reason and so I've taken a step back from praying um especially in like public spaces 
Um, so just some of those sorts of things, taking a break from trying to read the Bible on my own and interpret it on my own because it's a bit too much, recognizing that and going, okay, there are elements where I used to tell myself that I'm not trustworthy or that I have to do it this specific process or this specific way, um, even though it doesn't necessarily feel right to me, I've just given myself the permission to not do those things. Mm. Yeah, it's like not a practice that's your own. Mm. So you're taking a step back and being like, can I rediscover this for myself yeah. at some point? Yeah. Oh, Beck. Sorry, just quickly. I will go on many tangents if given the opportunity. Um, but I did want to acknowledge too that um, impact that, particularly when we have a, a disembodied theology or belief system um, that doesn't just impact our individual personal experiences but we build that into the systems and the structures that we create and so a church that is built on a lot of disembodied theology naturally when you're creating that environment you're not going to be thinking about people's embodied experience and so I know like here, for example, there's a real emphasis on making sure that you feel safe in this room and that's something I really appreciate and if you need to leave, like you can leave, you can get up and do whatever you need to do to feel safe Um, and a lot of environments, if you're not thinking about people's embodied impact, you don't build in protective mechanisms and safety mechanisms and that's when you end up with all of the institutionalised sexism and racism and homophobia and transphobia and it it comes from even if people have like good intentions and they're you know individually lovely people you're you fail to recognize how is someone going to experience this space um or this message and what should we be doing to make sure it is safe Um, Mm, which reminds me of like the image of the body of Christ and the members of the church and that we all do it together in our diversity and the problems come when we are like not acknowledging like all the parts and that we're all different and that the space needs to be for everyone and actually that's when we're our best that's when we represent Jesus in a way that's when we reveal God to God's fullest is by everyone coming together and we figure out how do we all go here how do we fit um, and you get into troubles when you start saying actually, you know, whatever it is the eye says to the whatever, I don't know, um, you're dirty. I can't remember the verse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all of it's just like some verse that like <laughs> is somewhere, obviously have really good relationships with the Bible. <laughs> like, uh, it's complicated, am I right? Um, okay, so uh, I want to ask a, like a little a reconnection question and kind of maybe explore some hopeful or helpful practices or ways that you have rediscovered and embodied faith. And I wanted to give the heads up that after y'all answer this, I, if anyone else has like anything burning that they want to add into this about ways that they've uh, discovered or embraced a more embodied faith I'd love for other people to be able to share uh, but no pressure as well but just wanted to give that option because I know when I mentioned this topic a lot of people were like oh I kind of want to talk about that a little bit so we have a lot of shared wisdom but no pressure so yeah how have you discovered an embodied faith yes I think um for me, it's been a lot of 
patience and non-judgment with myself has been really, really key. Um, again, similar to the way that I entered recovery for ED is that you have to like allow your body to do things again that it's, your mind is quite scared to do. Um, and so I had to first learn to like hear it again, like hear my body, hear that it was like, I need this, I need that, I want that. Um, and then listen and not shame it for wanting things. Um, and then offer it and not be terrified by whatever the results were. Um, and I think that has carried over into all of my different deconstructions, no matter what it's been, whether it's been um, general theology questions about the end of times, or if it's been stuff about my own sexuality and gender, it's listening first, and then exploring it non-judgmentally, um, and then seeing what comes up with a lot of patience and a lot of grace. Um, and I think one of the the way that I view a lot of the image of God in people has shifted from the way that I saw it when I felt so much that I had to fit a box versus the way that I kind of view myself now as like I am a box. Like I, I am a box because I exist and I'm not, no one's like me. Um, and so there's a quote I won't be saying it directly the way it is, and I forget who it's by, um, but is that the image of God is not in humanity, but humanity is the image of God. And so with every individual and the way that they witness and reflect the image of God back to people, um, it's in their own way. Um, and I think that in their own way, they're also listening to the spirit and listening to that part of their selves, their whole selves, body, mind, soul, and intuition and gut is a big part of that. Um, and so part of my experience has been to reconnect with my gut feelings about things and to not feel so ashamed when that hasn't lined up with leadership that I have um, been underneath. And so that has meant for me a lot of closed doors in the last couple of years. And I've had to move a couple times already this year and switch jobs and switch jobs again. And so it's definitely been scary and not ideal, um, but I have never felt more like connected to myself and my truth of what I want to express and how authentically I can walk around and greet people. And it has meant that I connect pe with people in a much deeper way. Like friendship is friendship, not you fit this box and you need to be my friend because now we're in the same social circle. Um, and so that has been just sort of, I guess, the mentality that has really helped. But then practically, um, I do a way different devotional than I used to do, partly because I now like have an aversion to Christian leadership books like never before, but I've always kind of had an aversion. Um, and so I avoid a lot of words, even words by people that I do love. Like I love Rachel Held Evans and I'll, I'll still read her, but right now I'm like on pause, but on like someone else feeding me words. I'm like, I will do, um, 
It's called Visio Divina, and it's a practice of like looking at artwork. And you have some like contemplative prayer and reflection questions. Um, there's a group called Infleshed um, that does have a Vita Divina like collection. I think they have about 34 um, paintings by queer and trans artists that they've collected on their website, inflesh.com, and they do like 20 minute um, meditations that you can do along with them, where it's basically you just stare at the painting for like three minutes, a bell goes and they're like, okay, now here's your first question. And then you get to journal or think about that question for a little bit, do it again, 20 minutes is over, and you just feel a lot more centered in yourself, I think, in figuring out what you want to do um, and how you want to think about things. And it's, it's made me feel quite close to God. Um, I also really think body mapping is cool. It's this concept where um, you can do it to scale and like trace out your body on a large piece of paper. Um, and then similar to kind of what we did earlier in the service with like thinking about from your feet to your ankles, to your knees, to your like waist, how do you feel? You can like use words or use paints and like just like get it out on paper. And maybe you don't necessarily have like that deep a connection to your emotions. Like you're, I had a friend who for years and years and years um, had three emotions that they connect with, you know, like it was like uh, happy, sad, mad. Um, and that was kind of all they knew, like, which is the development of like a five-year-old. And they were like, it took them a lot of conversations with their therapist to even decide, oh, there's like so much more that can be here. But if all you have is a body map that you're painting like, red, blue, and yellow, like, that's a good place to start to do it in an in a abstract way that makes you feel like you can listen to your body in a different way. Yeah, I remember someone, like, showed me a, a list of all the emotions you can feel. I was like, that many? <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> there are a lot. Um, a little bit on kind of the emotions or kind of reconnecting with your body. One of the things... And it might be a bit trivial, but one of the things I actually learned in like weightlifting is um, is touching the part of your body that you're using. And so for me, often when I'm talking now, I will touch the part of my body that I'm feeling that I'm talking from. So whether I'm talking from my gut or talking from my heart, um, I think kind of connecting with your body as you're speaking becomes quite important for me because I think I was quite disconnected from my body everything was, oh, crap, like, what did they want me to say or what have I been told about this topic that I need to say? I want to recognise, actually, this is coming from me now. This is not coming from out there. Um, so it was like a mental, like, or kind of turning a, a mental practice into something that is also a little bit physical. Um, that's one thing. I think the other thing to note, I mean, I came from a Pentecostal church, well, non-denominational, non actually, um, missionary organisation, but we were very Pentecostal, let's be clear. Um, but the Pentecostals do worship really well, and I think I've always just really connected, and that is a very embodied experience. Um, the, the feeling of God's spirit moving in a space with worship is uh, still really important to me, and so... You know, there's a lot about uh, my kind of past church experience that is entirely disembodied and almost all of it is except worship. 
Um, and that is something that I still connect to and that is something that has kind of been a tethering thread uh, kind of through my entire experience over the last few years just to hold on to that. And so for me, like like I said before, kind of letting go and not having the pressure to read your Bible and do quiet time every day and, and all of those things because it becomes a box-ticking exercise but getting to enjoy and experience worship again for me is quite a big one. Um, yeah, I think I've been very lucky for the past um, kind of few years. I started um, – I don't recommend this going into a university degree to help yourself, but, like, it did work for me. Um, but I – uh, I'm three years into a four-year degree in social work and I did not really go into it thinking about myself but I definitely have found that so much of what we would be learning I was like oh I'll just apply this to myself and um, one thing that I remember we uh, we did as like a tutorial once it was very embarrassing but we did like this big group um, like yoga exercise thing and I, I'm quite naturally a very cynical person and so I'm very like why on earth would like stretching is not going to do anything for me but um, I do yoga now. Um, <laughs> I hate saying that like it's like any yoga now um, but I do yoga. I, I do specifically um, I just googled like yoga for reconnection and like found as many free resources as I could but um, I've actually found it really helpful and the ones that I love um, you'll be in like some random pose and it'll kind of be hurt I'm not very strong so it'll be like kind of hurting and the facilitator will be talking you through like don't you're not paying attention to oh, this sucks and this is, like, hurting my arms and I kind of don't want to do it. You're just taking the space to breathe and notice your breath and check in with your body and recognise how is my body feeling in this moment and what is my body telling me specifically today? Um, And it sounds very, like, woo-woo and a bit out there and I don't know, but when I actually started doing it, I found it really helpful. It's reintroduced me to my body in a way that um, I can do at my own pace Um, because I have struggled with when I first recognized oh I want to reconnect to myself and my body I kind of threw myself in and then ended up spending like a month just so flat and like numb because my body's reaction or my brain's reaction was no we don't do this like we don't check in Um, and so it, like, really doubled down on, like, no, don't, like, don't do that. And so definitely, like, take it, whatever you're doing or thinking, like, take it at your own pace and listen to yourself in how am I feeling about this. And it's okay to be uncomfortable, but don't, like, push yourself into a space of, like, pure exhaustion because I know that I found I was just thinking about reconnection with myself as another thing that I needed to do to be lovable to other people or to be like a better person of faith um and I've had to 
reconfigure how I think about that as no I'm reconnecting with myself because I want to have a relationship with my body and that's the only reason I didn't want to have obviously there's other reasons but when I started I had to make that decision I didn't want it to be so that I'm a nicer person to other people or so that I'm you know better in the way I think about faith or religion because it again just became like checking a box and I didn't want that in my relationship with myself um and then the other thing that I've really struggled with but I now really enjoy is prayer and I struggled with prayer honestly always like I I can't think of a point in my life where praying felt like a natural thing to me or a thing that I was like this makes sense and this will work or anything like that um and I had to relearn what I thought prayer was and what I meant by prayer when I used that word um and I've come to a place where I understand prayer as just consciously rejoining a conversation that's always happening um like a divine conversation that's always happening and for me the the place where I most easily find myself able to kind of sit and really just connect into what's going on in my heart and what am I hoping for other people and what am I hoping for myself is in nature and so I like to go and I have a rock like up behind my house and I go and I do my yoga on the rock and then I sit on the rock and like sometimes it will be a very like prayer looking prayer like I'll sit there and be thinking like dear god da, 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 da. and sometimes it's just shutting my eyes and paying attention to everything I'm feeling and I'll listen into the I try to notice every noise and every sensation and I'll feel like the sun on my skin and the rock beneath my hands and the sounds of the leaves and the wind and I always come I've never once done that and come away feeling worse or feeling like that wasn't helpful even if I could like nothing in my life could have objectively changed but it just recenters me into myself and my body and reminds me what i the kind of person i want to be and what i believe i guess the world and life and the universe is kind of all centered around and i think that's mainly connection in my mind so yeah thank you i know a lot of people here have talked about how in their deconstruction or like just like not knowing how to connect with God anymore, that nature has been so important in connecting with the divine and knowing the divine. So, yeah. Um, Yeah, I think for me, like being someone who is trans, really deconstructing concepts of uh, perfection equaling holiness, so like this, like, and perfect bodies and, like, my my body needing to be perfect and then to actually embrace my transness and be, like, actually holiness is who God is. It's, like, this divine being of love and justice and grace and generosity and forgiveness and actually, like, I can do that regardless of what my body is. I can can actually befriend my body and actually be in my body as a trans person and make changes to that body uh, and still 
be holy like and have and embody God and then like mindfulness became really important for me in, in being reflective and going out from a from a place of actually thinking critically like how am I going to respond in a way that embodies holiness um yeah we have talked a lot so is there anyone dying in the room to share something one or two before I kind of ask you for a concluding little piece um that maybe we've talked yeah, 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 please. I, yeah, I just wanted to give the opportunity because a few people did say they wanted to be part of the panel, but we were too full, so. I'll make it short and then I'll pass it to anyone else who wants it. Um, I guess I just wanted to share that thank you so much for um, all sharing, but I think one of the common threads that can come with being disembodied is a sense of shame. And I think that was really massive for me in my disembodiment, and I'm still relearning that, but something for me in my reconnection and like um, reconstruction with God and myself um, was learning that no matter what it is, whether it's to do like under a spiritual banner or, you know, under a secular banner, that's all God, like and all humanity and all that. But no matter what it is, God is against shame. And, um, you know, I just wanted to share that, that um, I guess whatever part of the process you're on or whatever you feel in your own body or your own emotions that um, God didn't um, yeah doesn't want you to feel ashamed in any manner in any way and that has been a particular thing that's been healing for me in my reconnection to my body but like also reconstructing what that relationship and stuff does mean mm, thank you for sharing yeah and like sh shame is a form of darkness I think as well and that darkness mm, hiddenness Anyone else dying to add something? Dave. Hey, I'll also just be really quick. Um, one thought I had about um, that idea of our hearts being deceitful, um, I think that's something I really pondered a lot um, in my, yeah, just over the past few years. Um, and the idea that um, people with different experiences of sexuality or gender are biased um, because of um, because you know their, their feelings are going to lead them astray, um, but actually that people with different experiences of sexuality or gender are processing like hundreds and thousands and millions more data points as we figure out our experience in the world than the people who are having a fairly cis het experience of the world, like just that like. It's the, uh, the opposite way. Like, as in, I was listening to people who are biased and who weren't processing the. the anyway, so just that idea of um, being told that our hearts are deceitful and unpicking that just really resonated. Yeah. Um, I also just want to throw in there and it was touched on so many times so beautifully you did so wonderful um but this idea of like disembodiment living a double life I think that is super common in Pentecostal spaces for queer people like the I'm dating someone's secret outside of church nobody knows I'm leading this team no one can know la 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 and just the damage that that can do internally to your physical health as well. Uh, and the switching that you have to do in your mind and how confronting it can be, like how worship can be so comforting, but 
the other side of that is how am I connecting with God so much in this space that's also saying that I can't be queer? I'm having the biggest experiences of my life with God in the, in the place where people are telling me that I can't experience this. Um, and just how like the most embodying experience for me has been putting all those pieces together and cutting off some old friendships and cutting off some old things that wouldn't let me be both, wouldn't let me exist in both spaces and how I feel like I've been able to come into my body uh, through that. So yeah, that's my thought. We've had big conversations tonight. Um, wanted to end on asking you if there's a piece of writing uh, that brings you hope and if you could share that with us. I definitely agree with the, the cognitive dissonance that you can feel in the, the double life experience. Yeah. Hello. Um, yeah, I know it's just a, it's just because I'm feeling so soft, guys. Like, give me a break. Um, yeah. God, this is just so hard. Give me a second. Um, because it's such a weird experience to reconcile, as um, Beck was saying, those parts of yourself that for so long you've been told not even whether or not you identified with language yourself, but that you knew to even go there, to even to even unravel any of it was a no-no. Um, and then to be like, but I, but so compelled, like there there are answers beyond what I've been given as the black and white um, boxes that I need to tick. Um, and then at the same time, so loving the God that you know the one that you know and your knower, the one that walks with you and that, you know, whispers lovely affirmations to you um, beyond the one that you hear at church that you feel hates you. You know, there's some there's something in all of us that we're even here that we want to be wanted by a creator. And so in that, um, the prayer that I wanted to um speak on is a Thomas Merton um, prayer of unknowing because I think at the same time I want to be wanted I want God to be happy with my plans but I don't even know if my plans or my deconstruction is good like I don't know maybe I'm also really really wrong in some things that and in 10 years time I'll be like that was so dumb um, and God forbid that it hurt people along the way to think that way um, and so this has been a poem I've been reading to myself a lot this year um, to help me make decisions even when those decisions feel really hard because I don't know if they're good or not, but they feel right in my gut. My Lord, my God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself and the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing 
I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. I don't really have like poetry or a verse or anything like that. I think one thing for me, like I've, I've really struggled to trust people now, um, like external people, so authors or like podcasts or the Bible especially. Um, but the experiences that I have are the things that like I know to be true. And so something that gives me a lot of hope kind of in this reconnecting with God space is actually just like this church and this space and I hope that doesn't sound cheesy but like there's just a lot of hope that I get when I rock up here and when I come here every week and you know we've we've developed quite a community where we've got a lot of regulars so like I walk in and I know that this person or that person's going to be here and um, the joy on their faces when they're listening um, to Steph or Joel or whoever speak like it's those sorts of experiences now that really give me a lot of hope and a lot of hope I guess in my faith as well. I um, I thought that was quite poignant for a, a talk on embodied faith and being rather than like knowing is that like you rock up and you feel it. I don't know how to express it but I'm here and I feel it in my body that something nice is here. Don't tell me to explain it right now, but I loved that. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely relate to that. Um, I think we obviously really want to put things into words and into language so we can communicate them. That's a very hard thing to do when what you're communicating is in many ways very intangible. and so sometimes the best ways to communicate that, I think, is to experience it with another person and there's just that kind of knowing between you of we're both having this experience, probably different in many ways but similar in many ways and the words don't have to be there. Um, in saying that, I do have a poem that I'm going to read. Um, this is my favourite poem of all time it was very hard to decide what one I wanted to read because I have so many but um this is a poem by Mary Oliver who I'm sure a lot of you know if you don't you should really look into her it's great um she is a beautiful poet um and this is her poem wild geese you do not have to be good you do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers, Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, 
The world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. Beautiful. Thank you. I feel like I don't want to add to that and I just want to let that be the last thing that we hear tonight. Um, can we just give these three beautiful people a lovely round of applause?